0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the People of Packaging podcast. My name is Adam Peak. I am the packaging pastor. You can find me on TikTok at packaging pastor. You can also connect up with me on LinkedIn at Adam Peak. Today's episode is a live recording from earlier in May that I did over on LinkedIn with Paul Unru from Atlapak. I really hope you enjoy it. There was a lot of interaction with people live asking questions. I'm going to really be experimenting a lot more with that particular format. So please check it out. Also while you're at it, go check out my friends over at SpecRite. Here's the deal. If you don't spec right, you're going to guess wrong. So you can learn more at specright.com backslash PKG. That is is s-p-e-c-r-i-g-h-t.com com backslash PKG. And go get your specs right. Someone who already has a specs right is Paul Unruh. Let's hear from him. Hey, we are live on an impromptu people of packaging interview. I was... On a Microsoft Teams call with with Paul Unruh, who will introduce himself here in a second, and I w- we were just having a conversation. I said, "Hey, what? You want to record the interview, or do you just want to go live?" And Paul was like, "Bring it on! Let's just go live." So we're here. Uh, we're live on LinkedIn. We're live on YouTube, and we're live on Facebook. Uh, you can follow the people of packaging podcast on facebook candidly i'm supposed to run that page i'm terrible at it and i don't really like facebook so uh but you can subscribe to my youtube channel as well that would be awesome and uh please as always uh follow the people of packaging podcast wherever you listen to your podcast I want to give a quick shout out to uh one of our sponsors which is spec right if you're watching this video you can see them up in the, wait, wait, right up there in this corner. Uh, so uh, if, if you are struggling with how to manage your own uh, specifications, if you are wondering how you're going to handle the new EPR regulations that are coming in, uh, or if you just want to know what it is and where it is that you can save some money on lightweighting your material, you need to go to specright.com. Uh, check them out, S-P-E-C-R-I-G-H-T dot com. Paul Unruh, thank you so much for coming on to the People of Packaging Podcast and for doing this live. It's kind of fun.
1: I've been doing it for 32 years doing it live, so no
0: problem. Glad you invited me. It's so true. I'm used to it. It's so true. Uh, Everything's on the fly. I have a, so you are the president at at LEPAC, and I want to dig into both of those roles, kind of what you do and what your background is, but I have a very important first question. Uh, you have a basketball behind you, on your shelf. Uh, yes. Is, is that there for a reason?
1: Well, being five eight, it's not because I play. It's nothing to do with that. But that's a uh, basketball. I went to Michigan State for packaging, and that's a ball that uh, Izzo gave me. Oh, that's awesome! So it's a ball from him and all my friends. I live in Columbus, Ohio, and our company's here, and it's Ohio State country, so I, I like having that on my on my behind
0: me. Keeps everybody Man. honest. <laughs> tom Mizo was one of the greatest coaches of all time there's uh yeah there's no doubt about it and you know i i so i'm a big basketball fan in case you don't know that and i've always thought if you're going to default on a on a draft pick uh i would go ahead and default to a player who's been coached by tom Mizzo. <laughs> like if you're in the second round yeah. and you're like ah oh, we're, we're trying to figure out who we're going to pick and it's like you know this this guy uh, Aaron Henry or somebody else. like go oh, with Aaron Henry. Like he was coached by Tom Izzo. So
1: you're definitely uh, a fan if you've heard of Aaron Henry. That's very interesting.
0: Good well, call. you know, I, I yeah, yeah. yeah I do have random I have random amounts of basketball knowledge. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Uh, but anyway, this is not. I wish honestly, like I could probably run a basketball podcast and I would have a lot of fun. But there's plenty of those out there. I listen to four Denver Nuggets podcasts and the world does not need more. Basketball podcast, I don't think so. Uh, so, Paul, you said you you went to Michigan State, uh, graduated in packaging. Did you always want to get into packaging?
1: Uh, of course not. I mean, if you talk to any of the alumni, I, I know probably myself, probably a couple thousand of them, not personally, but of them, I only know about two that got out of high school and said, "I can't wait to get down to East Lansing and get into packaging." right Most of us are uh, we're in other majors. Like I was a mechanical engineering major. And growing up in Michigan, I thought it'd be an exciting thing to go work automotive. Uh, in hindsight, I, I, I did the old, uh, I think I'll take plastics. So I went into went into packaging from there and graduated went right into printing and plastic packaging from there. And it was a good choice because it's been over 30 years of growth and fun. It's been a lot of fun being in packaging 30 years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. no, I, And it's only getting more and more important. And we're going to dig into some of those reasons why and so what has been and, and by the way if if you're able to watch i know i didn't plan this there wasn't like an event that you could subscribe to but if you are watching this live uh go ahead and drop some comments and whether it's on linkedin facebook or youtube they pull through here into the platform and i can share them if you got questions for paul uh, if you know paul uh, and and you want to give him some crap or whatever it is you want to do uh please go ahead and drop that in there but um if you're listening to this recording then your comments may or may not be uh, <laughs> addressed live because we can't see into the future. So, uh, so you you've mentioned this thirty years you've been in the industry. Let our listeners know a little bit about what that journey's been like. Has it all been, you know, it, within one industry? Because I know right now you're in flexible packaging, or has it been you kind of bobbed and weaved throughout all of it? It's
1: all been pretty much in flexible packaging. I mean, right. I did my internship way back when, before the internet, as I like to joke, uh, at a printer that did rotogravure, flexo, and offset. So it was a good six months of learning that as an R&D engineer. Then right out of college, I went into selling base films, like polypropylene film, that kind of thing. Went went into the distribution selling that, like at a a company that takes big rolls, makes them smaller. So I did that for a few years. Then I ended up at a flexible packaging converter, calling on brands and pet food companies selling the whole thing, you know, printing, laminating, bag making, that kind of thing. And then after about 15 years of that, I uh, was having my bags made at a place called Pack, which is in the same town I happen to be in. I talked to the equity partner back then, it was in two, about 14 years ago, about coming aboard. And I came aboard as VP of sales and ended up becoming one of the owners here. So it, we've grown the company to a higher level on all different aspects, whether it was a uh, the types of brands we're running, the quality systems that we have, the team I've built with people a lot smarter than me, and the engineering team—these guys are know way beyond what a packaging grad knows. We know a lot of different things, but digging into thermodynamics and air and all the things to run a plant is not really our background. But I've built a good group of people that are a lot smarter than me to kind of grow the company around our hundred people we have here.
0: That's awesome, uh, and we'll give a quick shout out to uh, Hugh Curtis. Uh, who is at uh, Butternut Mountain Farms in uh, in Vermont. Vermont? Yeah, so uh, Hugh, Hugh's great. He uh, he participates in a whole bunch of networking events that we have. So, uh, what's going on, Hugh? Thanks for thanks for jumping. If you got any questions for for Paul, please feel free to drop them in, and we will uh, we will get going. Um, you know, this is actually uh, th- this question just came in from Mohammed and i think that this is actually a pretty pertinent question so nice timing uh he says how hard or easy was it to become a president with a packaging background i believe mohammed is a uh, is a student or at least a recent graduate uh is it from i i can't remember if it was michigan state or not mohammed but um so how was that that journey i mean you you said you went from vp of sales you went from packaging um you went from packaging engineering or packaging degree mm-hmm. ended up in a VP of sales role. Now you're the owner of a company. So what was that? How difficult of a journey was that?
1: Well, it was tough. I mean, it was a long, long journey and uh, everybody's journey is tough. But I mean, with me personally, it was uh, in very beginning, like right when I got out of college, I was in, in packaging school. no don't care which one you go to. They don't teach you how to sell. They don't teach you any of that. They may do now, but back then they didn't do it then. I will. I will. I will
0: put in a quick little interruptive plug for a uh, course that I just launched through the Packaging School on uh, on sales operations for printing and packaging professionals. So you can uh, can actually go to (laughs) SellingPackaging.com. We didn't even discuss that, Uh, but yeah, go go to SellingPackaging.com, and uh, I've got a couple of I've got an online course that I've done with the Packaging School on sales. Um, That's
1: good because the, the industry needs that. We need to have a level of professionalism along with the domain knowledge because it's just – so those first, to answer the question from earlier, how do they end up becoming the president? I mean, in the beginning of my career, I spent a lot of time on the road traveling old school with maps. Like Young kids don't know what that is. But not Google
0: map. Maps, everybody. Not Apple Maps.
1: No, I, Actual I, I, Maps. <laughs> yeah. I told a story earlier today where one of my first sales calls told this to a guy in Chicago that I was seeing a couple of weeks. One of my first sales calls, I'm living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm 22, 23 years old, green as can be. I'm on the phone with this guy in Chicago, and he's like, well, I think Paul makes sense now that we get together and visit. And I'm borderline nervous. It made me nervous to do that. I said, All right. Back then, you, you did this weird thing, and You asked him for their address. So he gives me his address. I write it down, whatever it was 111 Michigan Avenue, Chicago, Illinois. I said, And back then, yes, but this, what was the second thing he asked? Can you give me directions? Because you didn't have a phone to tell you how to get there. The right. guy's like, Paul, I'm in the stone building, like stone building. Didn't have the internet to look up what the stone. By the way, it's one of the most prominent buildings in in Chicago with a big, it's not stone building anymore, but you drive in like, that's it. The one with the big triangle on the top of it. Got it. And so I pull up there and it took me like 45 minutes to learn how to park this little kid from Columbus, Ohio, and I'm figuring this all out. So you go through those things and you learn where to spend your time. And in the 80s or excuse me, in the 90s, I spent my time learning printing, learning lamination, and getting in front of the customer. And so I spent a lot of time in front of the customer kind of helping them, you know, adapt, get into a new package, get into the right supply chain, get into the right markets, deal with the punches of the face that comes from that, all the way, and you just learn. So I was at a small enough converter for a long time that a lot of my brands that I worked on with people would grow up and get bought. I call them my baby brands, like I knew them when they were little. And then they end up getting bought by one of the big CPGs, and that kind of thing. And plus, I was living in Cincinnati, so I had a lot of exposure to the big brands down there. Right. So I learned a lot there. So how did I build it up? By being the rainmaker, you know, going out and selling and bringing in business and driving business is how you get packaging people to really grow. And as you grow, you and identify your weaknesses. Now, Mohammed asked that question. One of my biggest weaknesses when I took over as president is I'm not an accounting master. I don't know. Accounting is not my background. But I knew I had to get from a C student to at least a B student. I had to learn how to read the balance sheet really mattered, where, where things really matter to help us be more successful, buy new equipment, to hire new people. So it's just a matter of understanding your weaknesses and not trying to over oversell. Now, over the last 30 years, my biggest weakness has been hiring salespeople. Because, first of all, it's flat out difficult. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I never had to look for them because we were very busy. I tend to do most of the selling myself, but as I became president, I had to get People underneath me trust them, put them in positions where they could be successful, inventor them and teach them. That that's been the best part of the last five years, is kind of mm-hmm. getting young people digging packaging, getting into it and enjoying it and understanding that punches in the face is how we all learn. So Mohammed, that's kind of how I did it. It took a long time of climbing that mountain, you know, just a little step at a time.
0: Yeah, and Mohammed did so, confirm he's he's transferring to Michigan State for packaging next semester. So uh yeah. he's I don't know if I answered young. your question, Mohammed. I think I think you did all a great right. job. Uh, Muhammad's one of the young up-and-coming uh, packaging engineers. And, you know, I think um, it's interesting because as you're talking about recruiting and retaining kind of younger sales people within the packaging industry, it's it, it's difficult. But I've noticed, you know, you you have, I would say, adjusted. I mean, you, you went from a sales job where you had to ask, like, where what's your address? Can I get directions? How do yeah. I get there? Let me get up my map. To now, you know, you've got over 3,500 connections on LinkedIn. I know that you're active there. You're participating in a lot of more like digital social stuff. Has that been an evolution? And, and even has that transition been difficult for you first? And second, does that has that helped you to connect with kind of like the younger generation of up and coming uh, packaging salespeople?
1: That's a really great question because uh, over the last eight to 10 years, we have a show, I'm sure you're familiar with it, the Pack Expo, Pack Expo, yep. the show. And eight, nine years ago, I was on LinkedIn. I found it a very simple way to build a network to meet people and kind of sell up a little bit, get to know someone that might know something a little more beyond the basics. And eight, 10 years ago, I was barbarically posting. I still barbarically post. I'm not professional. I'm not, it really is me doing it. But I'd go to Pack Expo eight years ago or nine years ago, and I'd walk to the show and it's like alumni week when I'm there. And every now and then i say, hey, Mr. LinkedIn. I'll turn around to some guy my age. I'm 54, so I was in my mid-40s. And I walk over like, what, what the hell are you doing on LinkedIn? <laughs> I'll say, beating your ass. Pardon my <laughs> language. But I, that, that's, really what, that's really what it came down to is just this exposure. And our business here at Pack is about the big guys thinking of us. They got to think, I want this done right. They got to think. They're involved. They gotta think that we care. And that just touches perfectly. So I've been building up my LinkedIn for years. Adam, four or five years ago, I had a multi, almost like a $300 million company's president pull me aside one schedule a scheduled meeting at a show. I went in and I said, well, what's going on? He goes, you gotta teach me how you do this LinkedIn stuff. I go, what part of the stuff are you talking about? He goes, those posts. I go, you have 25 people in your marketing department. They don't know how to post. <laughs> It blew my mind. I said, "It's just a matter of being sincere, value." I know everything I post is in a value. Sometimes I put, I get more views on my jokes at times. But yeah. thinking about you, thinking about you—that's what resonates. That's what makes the difference in our in our business.
0: Yeah, I I've been told we we uh, uh, we should we should connect up one of these days and just have have like a non online conversation because it was around the same time. It was about eight years ago for me. And so at the time I'm 41. So at the time I was pretty new into sales. Uh, I'm I'm a I'm a pastor. That's my background. And my background in packaging was actually in procurement. And I was like, I saw this stat in I think it was Packaging Digest or something that said, where do, Where are companies spending most of their marketing dollars? And it was trade shows and magazine ads and things like that and then just right below it it said where are packaging where decision makers spending most their time number one was linkedin and i was like am i the only one here that's noticing (laughs) that yeah Yeah. that so i did same thing i hired a linkedin coach i was like i don't know what i'm doing here i and you know i got the same kind of advice right like show up be authentic it's it's not a sales platform it's a it's a networking platform so just just bring bring yourself to the platform and show up consistently and you know likewise to you i've had i mean similar similar stories from presidents and ceos of of billion dollar companies today saying our we don't know how to we don't know how to use this platform um and i'm sure now as a president of a company you probably also get the the bad stuff from it like the bad outreach, the connection request, immediately yeah. followed yeah. by 15 paragraphs in a PDF in your inbox about how great the company is. You're like, this isn't what we're supposed to be doing that's
1: here. Totally ineffective. I mean, that's a, that's one of my pet peeves. I mean, if, if I, I do look who wants to connect because for the most part, I'm, I'm open about anyone, but every now and then I'll connect to some, I'll look who we have in common. And these are simple things to so you and I, we're familiar with this, but I'll, I'll look who we have in common. I'll say connect. If a message automatically comes into my, into my little inbox, I delete them. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't, it's, I don't, that's not what I'm there for.
0: Uh, no. they not
1: work here. And the other thing I don't, that I've seen recently that I'm not a big fan of is the lack of sincerity. It's pretty obvious that some of these companies have commissioned all their salespeople that you have to post once a week. Yep. And they're posting garbage.
0: Yep. Or they're just it's reposting just their companies. Me. They're just taking their company's talking points and reposting it. It's like...
1: Just not what I'm looking for. And no. They know what it does. Add and makes us all look for what's next. Now, what am I getting picked on about TikTok? Because I'm 54. Are but you? No are pictures. we connected on TikTok? No, we're not. And my, by the way, no one connects me on TikTok. That, that's for fun, still. But <laughs> you no, know, I, I just get I get crap from the people in my industry. Is like, why are you on TikTok? I'm like, you're just a billion years old. And that's like my joke to other other guys and this and and older people. Like, yeah. Yeah. You want to stay ahead of the curve, you gotta at least take a good look at it. Now, every now and then, I'm sure you see it too. There's new formats that come out, new platforms and that. But yep. TikTok, TikTok, where the way to get you to look at the things they want you to look at? It's pretty unprecedented in my yeah. experience.
0: It, it hit me um about eight months ago, actually, on TikTok. So I feel pretty new into that old, whole world. When I told my son, who is 14, I was like, I gave him my phone because he doesn't. He he's got he's got a Gab Wireless phone, which shout out to Gab Wireless. It, we love it. It's like a smart dumb phone, and it's incredible. So uh, he, I I was like, hey, watch this. I don't even remember what it was. It was like color changing paint on a BMW or CES or something like that. And I was like, yeah, it, like watch this video. And he opens up TikTok, and I was like, why did you go to TikTok? He's like, because that's where I would search for it. Oh. And I'm like, oh this is about way more than dancing and yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And so I got on it to force myself to create micro content because making, um, making long form. Oh man, Corey Connors coming in. TikTok is uh oh. Corey has been my, Corey's been I my TikTok Jedi. Uh, he's been my Jedi master on TikTok. Uh, everyone follow at Cory gated I do. Yeah. He's great. Uh, but it it forced me to make micro content, right? So how do I take a complex idea into a 20-second soundbite is really hard, especially for a Southern Baptist minister who's used to giving 45-minute <laughs> sermons. And so I just did it as a way to force myself to make different kinds of content. And I joked to my son that I'd get 100 followers, and he laughed. Well, now I'm at, as of today, it's like 13,200 followers on TikTok. So you know it's uh um it, it's it's an it's an emerging platform it's a great platform i totally relate to what you were saying on on being called like i got told why don't you just go work for linkedin why are you spending all your time on linkedin what why are you now on tiktok why are you making these videos on tiktok and i was like uh, because that's where people find me i don't know right. what, what are you doing to be found it's like do, do yeah. you want to keep just like cranking out cold calls um all, all day long or or do you want people to call it? anyway? It's uh thanks, Corey. I appreciate it. Adam is doing awesome things on TikTok. I thanks, Corey. I'm not,
1: so don't don't go to mine.
0: <laughs> um Hey Mohamed, we'll get to
1: We'll
0: get your question here in a second, but I did want to touch on on a topic talking about kind of marketing and and branding. You know, we're talking about personal branding into our industry. And let's kind of come back to your, what you do at Atla pack, which is flexible packaging. So earlier this week, I was on the packaging news weekly show that uh, myself, Corey, and Avelio Matos host. And, uh, and I went on a bit of a rant about this like anti-plastic disdain and hatred. And I, and I work for a company Myers and, and we make paper-based packaging. So when I say I went on a rant, about it it i didn't go on the rant because i wanted people to buy stuff from me uh i went on it because i study data and information and i really value what is true not just what's a narrative and and so while we're talking pre-call you were like yeah we need to do a better job in the industry of of really driving home the point around the sustainability component of flexible packaging You've been in this industry now for for a lot longer than I ever spent in it. So, uh, what is it about that we're missing about uh, the sustainability conversation as it pertains to flexible packaging?
1: Well, I, I, fundamentally, I think what we're missing is kind of what I mentioned earlier. It's like we don't really baseline what's really great about it. We don't talk about. You know, if you look at packaging globally, I always tell people like the most innovative stuff and packaging rigid or flexible tends to come from Japan. That's 10 years, I consider Japan 10 years ahead of us. They don't have less packaging, they have more than we do per unit of food, much more packaging. And you can go five years ahead of us and go over into Europe, parts of Europe, a lot of just because of the how large Europe is, how each country has its own infrastructure, its own factories. And I tell people all the time, Germany has 12 Haribo plants to make gummy bears. And I know we have one, look at the square, look at the square mile. My point is all the manufacturing is centralized. And when it comes to sustainability, the Japanese, the Europeans, food preservation, that's what they push. All the trade shows that matter to me, like Interpack and Dusseldorf is all about preserving food and flexible packaging for the thickness and the innovation you get out of it and the type of energy it takes to make it. It's one of the best things you can do to preserve food. Uh, adam you guys try to deal with this you know i'm the guy at the grocery store whether it's costco or a, or a local grocery like kroger or something or the old lady's complaining at me because I, I say i love plastic bags. when they say paper or plastic i say i love plastic bags. and uh, then somebody else say hey that's not right i'm like you don't know the energy to take not criticizing paper it takes more energy to make paper i get that if you're going to go home and use it properly i get it but usually it's somebody with one of those woven bags from from like China. Yep. Which I heard in a conference a couple of years ago, you got to use that 241 times to break even one plastic bag.
0: Well, the the number the number may be higher. There's a whole New York Times story about it. Uh, not yeah. to mention, <laughs> not to mention that cotton is coming from the Uyghur region, which currently has over two million <laughs> people enslaved right. or murdered in mass genocide. But aside from that, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, right, right. So that that
1: obviously I'm, my numbers way. The point is, I've been packaging all these years of experience, and I always forget the bags. Yeah. Right. Well, Let's be realistic. You're more than like going to use a bag at the store, that kind of thing. And I just think we need to do a better job of telling the story that flexible packaging preserves the food that you like to eat. I remember you guys probably have noticed this with bananas. They're putting the plastic on the end of the end of the bunch now. Mm-hmm. They, they put a little bit of stretch wrap on that. I had a lady in Whole Foods find out that I'm in packaging. She's like, you got to get rid of this plastic off these bananas. Why is that story not being told? That that helps preserve the bananas. That it does an incredible thing to get two days more out of a bunch of bananas that go all over the world from Costa Rica, wherever they've, they're grown, and it makes a world of difference in the supply chain and the energy consumption, all this stuff. But no one knows that story. The only story they know is that they got to throw away this little piece of plastic.
0: Right. Uh, right. And, and, they, and by the way, a good I, job. I say that I say this as well to folks. Like, I'm not in the like in the pro plastic lobby. Um, But when it comes to food waste and, and, in helping food, I mean, if, if, you know, I think there's like not PLA or like, if there's other innovations out there that prolong the life of food better than that little tiny shrink wrap. Great. Let's go for it. Right. Like we're, we're all on board. It's just that they're not there. And then potentially legislating away, like we talked about before the call, like, getting rid of all single use plastic and packaging is going to be a complete nightmare for the food and beverage industry, a total nightmare for the food and beverage industry. Uh, yeah. it, not to mention if it ever touched med device and pharma, are you what? What would we do? Like, do you want to yeah. reuse needles to give COVID injection? Like I, not injection, COVID uh, vaccinations. Like I don't yeah. want to, I, <laughs> what are we, what are we talking about here?
1: it'll be interesting to see what results from that i mean we all know about when they banned the, the plastic shopping bags on the west coast trash bag sales went through the roof people yep. need plastic bags i'm not saying that like i joked earlier and i don't mean this in a lighthearted way but i don't like seeing animals or trash in the ocean i'm not a fan of any of that that's not something i'm interested in but let's be realistic let's talk about what the advantages are we don't spend enough time on that we yeah just don't we just we just talk about the the seals and the animals in the ocean and I don't like oceans of plastic, but that's not typically not in the States. It's in third world country that they're throwing plastic. It's still not a good thing. I'm not saying it's yeah. a good thing, but yeah. it's, it's not the reality.
0: There's an argument to look. be made that, uh, that I've heard from, from some friends here on LinkedIn that, you know, a lot of that trash is actually exported from the U S and ends up in, in some of these countries that are developing, whatever it is, right? Like I agree. I don't want excess trash uh in in the ocean like nobody really wants that um the 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 lldpe bags in the in the store if you're responsible with it, like we collect all of ours we drop them off it all gets turned into composite decking at trex which is incredible because Mm -hmm. now we are using fewer vocs to finish our decks uh they last a lot longer and by the way we don't have to cut down trees anymore uh in order to make Mm -hmm. decking so it's like there is a whole story that I think can, that's not greenwashing. That's a legitimate story. That's actually what happens with these yeah, things. Yeah. And I'll tell people in the store and I feel like it's one of those progressive uh, insurance commercials because they're like, my kids are embarrassed. I'm like, I'll tell the store clerk, like, do you know what happens to this bag when it gets recycled? And they're like, no. I'm like, it gets turned into that composite, you know, composite decking, like check decking. It's a really good thing. And you you should tell people that to bring their bags back and to recycle them. So, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And so what uh, we will, I'll finish it up here. I've got one more question. I want you to maybe uh, either connect with Muhammad or you can speak to his question here in a second. I'll pull it up on the screen, but at, at Lepac, what is it? You've got a hundred employees. So are you um, proactively going out into the, the CPG world and sharing these stories, how are you getting that message out? Besides, obviously, the People of Packaging podcast.
1: Yeah, well, that's a good question because a lot. we have two divisions of our business. We have a, what I call the retail side of our business and then the toll side. The toll side is where if we go to the grocery store or go to Costco and I point at bags we made, like a pouch where we put the zipper in, it's with the huge CPGs. It's one of the five the Mondelez's, all those types of people, all their brands under their umbrella versus a retail account might be a local coffee guy doing a doing a coffee bag, something like that. So it's, it's a different, totally different mindset of who, who we tell the story to. The, the big guys that are handling the huge brand, whether it's Frito-Lay or one of their brands, they know the sustainability story. They're worried about the supply chain, how much they can get, but we're their incubator. They come to us to make the pouches that Drive stores in the west coast will put in the store because we know how to run sustainable films and how to make them leak proof, We you know, uh, ooh, I use a bad word, leak resistant. <laughs> uh, so they'll come to us to kind of incubate the brand with new technology and new structures because they're too busy running all day long on something else. Yeah. Well, bringing the sustainable options to us, co-pack it, get it out in the store, do shelf life studies, do all that kind of thing. So. We help with that story, but to sit in front of the brand and say, "We know more about sustainability of a billion-dollar converter," we don't necessarily, but we know where the successes are. We know we can yeah. take an e-beam film, run it run it very, very well, and put it in a single structure that's recycle ready, and it actually has value versus greenwashing. And mm. we run into a lot of greenwashing with what we do, because well God forbid, we like to say "You're a pastor, but uh, we like to say uh, the truth. What we make yeah. is the truth. And we were in cannabis six, seven years ago. My packaging team and I were trying to develop a material that doesn't rip open, with a closure a kid can't get into, and legitimately get certified. Colorado's getting all big and mighty in it, and all that kind of thing. And we're out of pure ethics. We failed. We failed. Kids are chewing off the corners. We we re-engineer it, re-engineer it. We finally get something. Meanwhile, imports are coming in and cheap materials. Now the price points way down low. So the value of child resistance diminished. Mm. Yeah, and now I'm dealing with the same thing we kind of deal with the greenwashing. If a bag says it's compostable on the outside, people say it is,
0: right? Oh. No, it isn't.
1: I don't know how to overcome that. You know, I have friends that have brands that are buying imported bags that have "home compostable" written on the side of it, and it isn't. No, what am trust I have I, I, I have, well,
0: I have a home. I have a I have a, a compostable. Like I, I can do industrial composting at small scale in my house, and I have taken. Packaging that says compostable film and put it in there that sucker's not it's gotta go that's gotta go to a, a more robust composter than even what i have so um yeah. yeah well Paul, we've only got a couple more minutes here uh it might be good to uh to connect up with uh, muhammad here he's asking um he's gonna get his bachelor's in packaging uh and he's just curious about does he you know do you stay in get a master's in packaging? go get an mba or you know just kind of go to work so um you know maybe maybe connect up with mohammed on linkedin or mohammed connect up with paul on linkedin and then uh, my my friend dustin up in minneapolis uh yeah pyrolysis um to uh, to reuse original pet bottles i think that that's a that's definitely an interesting topic uh that the chemical recycling of flexible films and and mixed you know, HCPE, PET, polypropylene, mixing those all together and creating a, a valuable product on the end of that life is certainly something that's got a lot of legs. So uh, I appreciate everybody jumping in. Muhammad, Dustin, uh, Corey, Hugh, uh, I, think, I think I got everyone for jumping in. Thanks for thanks for jumping in. And, and Paul, to you, I, I'm super grateful and appreciative of our connection, of your time. How do people get more of you? And how do they get connected to atlapac?
1: Oh, our website's atlapac.com. Now it's Atlantic Pacific Ocean, abbreviated. A-T-L-A-P-A-C.
0: So A-T- okay, A-T-L-A-P-A-C. sorry, go ahead.
1: atlapac.com. That's our website. And uh, you can reach me through that and see my whole team on there and see what we're all about.
0: Yeah, and you've got a great LinkedIn banner. I love uh, I love your what you're doing on LinkedIn. Um and and just, just in general, uh, you know, keep keep pushing forward on the industry. Thanks, Colin. Appreciate you uh, for jumping in here and uh, and being part of this live podcast interview. So if everybody please can connect up with me, you can find me on TikTok at Packaging Pastor. I'd love to connect up on LinkedIn. Just uh, find me at Adam Peak, And uh, you can also learn a little bit more about uh, the selling courses that I have uh, through the Packaging School at uh, sellingpackaging.com com uh, i think that's all i got so everybody thank you for tuning in i gotta find this button here up up there paul any last words
1: no thanks everybody thanks for stopping by and connect with me if you have any questions or you just want to connect
0: 100 no all right Hey, that wraps up another edition of the People of Packaging Podcast. It would mean so much if you would like and share, rate, review, subscribe, because we want to change the world because we believe that packaging is awesome.